Welcome to the Three Questions Podcast, where we take questions from our church family and do our best to answer them from a biblical worldview. All of us here today have the privilege to serve the Lord's Church locally here at Southern Hills Baptist Church. And today we've got Randy Whittall, pastor of missions and evangelism, Ruffin Snow, pastor of member care and prayer. And my name is Daniel Snow, pastor to young adults. Um, Something just wanted to mention before we get going on these questions is that if this podcast has been helpful to you, we want you to know that it's not just on the Vimeo link. You may have seen it there on social media or something. That's awesome. But it's also available through wherever you normally get podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever. And in those on those platforms, you can subscribe and that can be helpful to you because you don't have to remember to look for it. It just loads it and for you each week. And it also that helps other people find it. And, and that's really what we want is that our hope is that this is as helpful as possible to as many as possible. So anyway, if that helps you, that's awesome. All right, here we go. Um, the first question for today is for my dad, Rough and Snow. And the question is, if you could give one piece of advice to young dads like me, I mean, I'm sure I'm very young, um, <laughs> what would it be? Boy, what a question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and I, I'm glad to get to try to answer it. If I were giving one piece of advice to young fathers, it would be using the scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, where the scripture says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, that's not a, um, maybe that's not one, it's obviously not an original statement from me, mm-hmm. but there's a lot contained there, I think. Um, for example, uh, it says, don't provoke your children to wrath. Mm-hmm. And that word provoke is um, uh, perorgazai, porogazai. <laughs> And, um, it's a word we use it's, constantly. It's, a, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> and it means, uh, it can mean just push. It um, Don't push them into uh, frustration and anger and mm. wrath. It's good. Well, i tell you one thing. We can see, all you have to do is turn the news on and see a lot of young men that are full of wrath. Mm-hmm. And um, oftentimes it's because dad's absent. Our, uh, our dad was um, drunk or, uh, or something of that nature. But, um, but we fathers, and I certainly don't claim to be exemplary, um, but we dads are vitally important to our kids. And we have a tremendous ability to push our children into wrath. Well, how would we do that? Well, a lot of ways by in, being inconsistent, mm-hmm. by being obnoxious, by um, having expectations that cannot be fulfilled, mm-hmm. um, where a kid gets the idea, I don't think I'm ever going to please my dad. Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, okay, so we're not to provoke our kids to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now then, um, that word nurture 
we heard it yesterday from our pastor. It's paideia. Yeah. And um, it means to teach or, or, or to train. And by the way, the, the train is a stronger thing than teach. Uh, I can teach and give some factual information. But to train means to, uh, well, to, to make a person learn something or to, uh, well, let me just give an example, and it's kind of a heartbreaking example. Uh, one day I was called, when I was pastor at Eastwood, why in Tulsa, I was called to be uh, to a home, and um, one of the children in the home had walked down to the, out into the street and gotten run over by a car. Wow. And the, the lady said, I've told her so many times, don't go in the street. I've told her, I've told her. Well, but she hadn't been trained. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, training is what we do when we, when we pretty much make a kid do something to, until he, until he enjoys it. I've heard that those horses that they ride in the steeple church, steeple chase, mm. you know, they jump over the, right. the um, thing. So I, um, that they come to a point where they enjoy mm. jumping over those barriers. Some of them are five feet tall. Mm-hmm. And, wow. um, but they, they get to where, the, well, they didn't enjoy it the first time they came up to one. Right. But they were trained to do that. And so um, training sometimes means letting someone find out the circumstance or the uh, uh, consequence, I should say, the consequence of an action when it's not deadly or it's not going to be catastrophic. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And what? so what is that? Uh, admonition, well, we know that admonition is a warning. Um, by the way, it's the Greek word nutheos, which we get nuthetic from. You know, when we were going to, all three of us, I've been, all four of us in this room have had a seminary education, mm-hmm. and we had to take um, Christian psychology. And I remember they talked about the different approaches to counseling. There's the Rogerian approach, like Carl Rogers, where he says, where you, the counselee says, well, I just feel terribly upset. And you just kind of repeat what, oh, you feel terribly upset? (laughs) (laughs) And then, yes, I feel like I'm going to jump out the window. Oh, you feel like you're going to jump? And you're going to just kind of keep repeating. Yeah. Okay. That's the Roger. It's very, it's very non-directive. And um, but then nuthetic counseling is, it says, hey, you need to stop doing that. It's got serious consequences. Mm-hmm. And so the admonition of the Lord, it means having some standards. Mm-hmm. And, and kids go through various stages. And especially as school-age kids, they have to have standards. And I guess as teenagers too, but um, anyhow. uh, So to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord as a a parent, I must be consistent. 
I must be loving and kind. Um, and so I've used up my time. I, you know, so I, I, I have my back to the clock, but I have, <laughs> have nicely put it on my phone. Hand. Well done. So uh, anyhow, but that's what I would say, to not provoke our kids to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. I was a personal advocate of the Mr. Rogers theory of yeah. California. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. That's right. Yeah. Where you just made everybody put on a cardigan you sweater. Cardigan sweater and <laughs> tie the shoes. We'd all be happier. It solves a lot of yeah. stuff. Okay. All right. Randy, I've got one for you. Excellent. What are the differences between the old and new covenants? Some or some could say the old and new testament, but the old and new covenants. Right. Well, and of course, those are obviously two different things. We do call the Old Testament is often referred to as the Old Covenant, the New Testament, the New Covenant in, in various languages. And um, But there were actually, if we talk about covenants, as far as their concept of a covenant is, uh, um, is God's an agreement, so to speak, that God makes with, with men. I mean, men can enter into covenants with other men, but we're obviously talking about covenants that God has chosen right. to enter into with his creation. Mm-hmm. First off, we have to recognize all of it's done at God's will. God has no obligation to make any kind of agreement or covenant with us. He He chooses to because God is a God of love. He's, mm-hmm. He loves us. He wishes the best for us. As our pastor said yesterday, you know, he loves us, so he disciplines us. And a covenant oftentimes is just God's way of helping us, helping guide us, down the the pathway that's ultimately going to be for for our good. And so there were actually a number of covenants. You know, God made a covenant with Adam at creation Mm -hmm. where he basically said, here's paradise and it's yours as long as you don't do this. Mm -hmm. Well, and of course, Adam didn't keep the covenant and it fell apart. Then God later made a covenant with, uh, with Noah. And, and uh, he said he would enter into this covenant and it had to do with the ark, you know, that all the earth would be judged. But if but Noah, who was found faithful and just in God's eyes, was told he and his family would be protected by the ark. And so that was a, a, a covenant. He later, when he brought the children out of, uh, out of Egypt, uh, took them to Sinai and made probably what most people think of when they think of the old, an Old Testament covenant, the Mosaic. Mm-hmm covenant, the, the, the covenant that uh, um, in, included the Ten Commandments yeah. and, and the, um, the, the tablets, the tablets, the what the Jews, Jewish people today would say are the 613 mitzvot or the mm-hmm. laws of the Old Testament. And that was, again, a covenant that was made to help guide people uh, in right ways of living that would please God and ultimately serve for, for our good. But what we notice in almost all those old covenants were God made them, but he made them in such a way where man broke them. I mean, they were mm-hmm. dependent in a great deal on man's ability to uh, to keep them, mm-hmm. uh, which man never, we have never, never been could. able to do it. And so then when we talk about a new covenant, actually the prophet Jeremiah back in, in chapter 31 prophesied about that when God put on his heart to share this message and say, you know, but I will make a new covenant, not like the old covenant. He said, this new covenant 
rather than being written on tablets of stone and mm-hmm. given to a people, is going to be placed within mm-hmm. each individual and written on your heart yeah. instead of on a tablet of stone. So we see one big difference is that old covenant was very often made between God and a people. The new covenant is between God and a person, an an individual. It's a covenant written on on your heart. And of course, Jesus, uh, later when he instituted the Lord's Supper the night that he was betrayed, he really clarified it when he served the Lord's Supper and he was explaining the elements of the Lord's Supper. You know, this is my body given for you. And then he said, and this is the blood that is the new covenant. Yeah. So... I guess the the, mo- the best thing I would clarify is the old covenant, the uh, Hebrews says, was a shadow of mm-hmm. of perfection. It was a it was as much as we at that point could understand about God and right. the way God chose to relate to us. But then God even told us, but this is just a shadow. Mm-hmm. It's just a a partial glimpse of what the best relationship, what the ultimate relationship with me is going to be. And that was ultimately fulfilled when God himself mm-hmm. came to earth and mm-hmm. as, as Jesus and walked among us and lived among us and died for us. And so, um, uh, you know, the biggest difference is one was, one was pointing to the other. Yeah. The old covenant pointed towards a better and perfect mm-hmm. covenant, which ultimately would be the covenant that we now are invited to, to be a part of through Jesus Christ, that, that he would die the perfect sacrifice, the shedding of blood, which we're told without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, mm-hmm. shed his blood to invite us into that, uh, that new and, and perfect covenant. So good. So good. Yeah. Anything you want to add? Okay. That's so good. Okay. And the question that I've got for today is when did angels fall? Did this immediately change the garden paradise for Adam and Eve? And this is a great question because it's absolutely appropriate for us to be interested in the angels. They are part of God's creation. It's not right for us to be enamored with them, but it is right for us to be interested in them. God made them. They're incredible uh, in, in the things that he's made them to do. Okay, so that being said, what about this? When did they fall? The two two of the clearest references to the fall of the angels come toward the end of the New Testament in Second Peter and in Jude. The exact timing of this rebellion, the Bible doesn't give us, and we just have to be honest about that. Um, we know the angels are created beings. They're not eternal divine beings. They are part of the creation. So it must have occurred sometime after God's initial creation of the world or created order in Genesis 1 and 2 and the fall of humans in the garden in Genesis 3 because we have the appearance of Satan who is a fallen angel uh, right there in that chapter 3. We don't know what the time span was between creation and fall. I mean, as we read it in our... English Bible, it's from chapter two to chapter three. So it feels like it was the next day or the next couple of days. And maybe it was, but it might've been weeks later, months later, maybe years later. We just don't know. And we can't say that we do, but so let's take a look at those two 
those two passages. Second Peter two four says, "For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment." And then it goes on from there. Jude one six says, "And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority." but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Both of those passages are given in the context of demonstrating how God is fully able to rescue his own and how God uh, is also fully able to hold responsible beings accountable. Um, And as far as that accountability in the lists that are in both of, the, both of those passages, it lists both uh, accountability of human and angelic beings as examples. Um, so there, there must have been, based on those passages, there must have been some sort of insurrection or rebellion among some of the angels towards God. Because right there in Jude 1, 6, it says they did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. Luke 10, 18 is where Jesus, the the 72 have come back. He sent them out and now they've come back and they're really excited and and say to Jesus, hey, even the demons basically submitted to us in your name, Jesus. And they're excited. And Jesus makes a statement right there. And he says, and Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then he goes on to tell them, I have authority to give you delegated authority. And then he says, but don't be overly excited about that. Be, be even more excited that your name is written in the book of life that's because good. that's the greatest miracle possible. Right. It's a miracle that demons would submit to believers based on the authority of Jesus. But even bigger than that, that a sinner like me can have his name written in the book of life. Jesus says that's the biggest deal. Okay. So to answer the question directly, we don't know exactly when, um, but prior to Satan showing up to tempt and lie to humanity in the garden uh, is when that fall of the angels happened, sometime before, before he shows up in the garden. Whether Satan and the demons um, fell prior to that moment or or if they were falling in that very moment in that act of tempting and that act of insurrection to tempt humanity the question of well was paradise lost before then we don't have any biblical indication that the garden paradise was lost until adam and eve willfully gave into the temptation and rebelled Um, it seems like everything was still going perfectly literally perfectly up until that point. And this would make sense because this, this, this attack, uh, this temptation, it was an attack on the highest thing in God's created order, humans, the only ones made in his image. So a satanic attack on the humans was an attack on God. And because of God's delegated authority and responsibility to humans, Fallenness in the image bearers meant brokenness and fracturing throughout all that was under their authority. All the created order felt the effects 
and still does until Jesus comes back. Um, all of the created order feels the fracturing effect of the fall of, of the first humans and, and all of us. Um, so you can see that, that there's a satanic strategy in that to attack the humans, the image bearers, meant an effect on all uh, the rest of creation. So this brings us to the fact that sin is ugly, God is good, Jesus saves sinners, and has purchased a new creation. Um, he has purchased a new creation that is is uh, fall proof, and and we don't deserve to to be headed in that direction. But for any who will run to Jesus in faith, that's the direction we're headed. So so that's kind of that's good. That. Okay. All right. Well, as always, I want to thank you guys uh, for taking time uh, to talk through things. I want to thank folks that take time to listen for doing that and even and even subscribing or sharing with others if that's a helpful thing. And I always want to say big time thanks uh, to Jeremy Johnson for making this possible and producing the podcast. We love your questions and please keep sending them in. In fact, we have a new way that you can do that. You can email, uh, instead of emailing me directly, you can email threequestionspodcast at myshbc.com. Threequestionspodcast at myshbc.com. You can also go to the website, myshbc.com slash contact, or you can text 505-258-2076. All questions will be kept anonymous. And remember, the God of the Bible is never surprised or offended by our honest questions.